unstoppable kick-ass confidence. Are you ready? Welcome to the Raw and Unscripted Show with Christopher Roush, where we help you overcome your self-created crap without the self-help fluffy bullshit. Now please welcome our host, Christopher Roush. Da-na-na, da-na-na. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls? Welcome to another episode of the Raw and Unscripted Show with yours truly, Christopher Roush, your No Excuses Coach, and the place where I help you overcome your self-created crap without the self-help fluffy bullshit. Raw and Unscripted, baby. We're back here every single Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We are live here on the video cast replay, or you, or you can check us out on replay. And of course, you can see us where or listen to us where podcasts are always sold. We're on iHeart iTunes, Spotify, all the different places. Just go in there and type in Raw and Unscripted, and yours truly will pop up there. Take us on the go with you and check us out because we are on episode number 183. I've been doing this since the beginning of January 2019, I believe, and uh, just having a blast with this. So we have done 182 shows. Ladies and gentlemen, you go back and you watch just a quarter of those particular shows, and you enact and you actually take action on the things that are suggested in those particular shows. Think about the difference of your life. Think about where you could possibly be today if you hadn't just been so inspired, but then you didn't take any action on that. 183 different episodes. Go check them out. We appreciate you guys. If you ever want like some of the recommended uh, episodes, feel free to reach out to me, and I'll be glad to uh, send those out to you. So thank you guys for being here. As always, we appreciate you guys. And I just want to do a quick little shout out here to my partners over at Help Heal Humanity. As you guys know, I'm on the uh, board of directors for Help Heal Humanity helpyourhumanity.com for you guys listening on the podcast. And it's just a phenomenal organization that I have been honored to be a part of for the last couple of years, along with Serena Buffalino and all the amazing people that are on the team. And in that short amount of time, I have got to see what and how a nonprofit agency works. And one of the things that I was always curious about when I personally was donating to other um, nonprofits was how much of the money is really going towards whatever initiative that they're raising money for. And what I found out is predominantly a lot of those organizations, those people take an actual paycheck to work for the nonprofit. What's beautiful about Help Heal Humanity is nobody takes a paycheck. All the board members, the CEO, Serena Bufflino, no paycheck, no nothing. All the money goes exactly towards what it is that we're raising money for. And that's a beautiful thing that I really love about this organization because it's all about the heart. It's all about what it is that we can do to use our voices and to use our bodies to make the world a better place, as the name suggests, Help Heal Humanity. And I just invite you guys, when you get value out of these particular shows, do me a favor. You're not paying me. You don't have to pay me for any of this content. What I'd like for you to do is go make a donation to Help Heal Humanity and let me know about it. And just say, hey, Chris, I donated what I could. I donated 10 bucks. I donated 25 bucks. I sponsored a child in Haiti. I did this. Let me know what it is that you're doing because just as an added benefit, I would like to possibly give you a, uh, some free coaching as my way of saying thank you. So if you donate $200 or more, you get free coaching with me. We'll set that up and you can have a brainstorming session with me. We can get you set up for your 2023 goals. It's just my way of thanking you for, for, for paying it forward and helping people in need. Because right now, if you guys have been watching the news or don't watch the news, I'm sure you've heard about the instability going on in Haiti. Uh, it's absolutely devastating. And what Serena did, Serena, the CEO of the, the company, years ago, probably about four or five years ago, she went there and they actually physically built a school for kids to go to school. And not only go to school, because it's one thing to go there and learn and everything else. And we got to pay for their books and their uniforms and whatnot, but also feeding them. What we found out is when the kids started going to school, they weren't being fed. The, the food insecurity there in Haiti is absolutely devastating. And so these kids were going to school, but they were so malnourished, they weren't able to pay attention. 
So we decided like, hey, not only we're we gonna send them to school, but we're also gonna feed these kids. So we feed them three times a week, but we can't do that without your help. It's expensive with the uniforms, the books and all the different food, um, we need your help. So my wife and I sponsor a kid, we feel really great about this. Um, and it's all on the up and up, it's all the real deal. So if you're inspired to go find an organization where you can potentially donate funds to, or you could do fundraising efforts, if there's something you like to do that raises funds, we'd love to have you on that. And also if you feel called to be on the board of directors, we have a few open positions and we are growing and expanding each and every year. 2023 will probably be our best year ever considering even with the economy and everything else, but the impact that we're desiring to make out there um, can be done and will be done. And we need your contributions and your support with that. So if you've been enjoying the Raw and Scripted show, if you've been enjoying what Christopher Roush does for you and the value and the content that I bring you every single day in whatever it is that I do, if you feel inspired, I would love for you to go help this organization out. It's, it's, it's in my heart of hearts to do this. We all together need to band together to make this world a better place. And I'm counting on you guys to do it. So please do whatever you can. If it's five bucks, whatever it might be. Well, Chris, I can only donate 10. Well, if 10 people donate 10 bucks. That's a hundred bucks, blah, blah, blah. Every little bit helps us get to that goal. So thank you guys for indulging me in that. Hope you're all having a beautiful day. And speaking of life and speaking of the opportunity for us to expand our awareness and to get out of our own pity parties and our own misery, I've got a great, great guest for you lined up tonight. He is not only the author of this amazing book, Monsters in My House, A True Story. His name is Walt McKinley. Some of you guys know him because he's a very dear friend of mine. We do lots of amazing stuff together. But in this book, he chronicles his life story. And Walt was a guest on the show. I looked it up. He was a guest on the show earlier this year in January. And in that, that was before we had the book out. And so I've had an opportunity to read the book and I decided to author Walt an opportunity to come back here and, and riff with me. So please welcome to the Raw and Scripted Show, Mr. Walt McKinley, or as I like to say, Walt motherfucking McKinley. What's Let's up, go. Brother? Burr, 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 Let's burr, go. Burr, 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 burr. Look, I, I love it. I love being on here, Chris. You guys are, uh, are we're cut from the same cloth, bro. I love being on here. Unstoppable. No excuses, coach. Um, you know, because I'm a no excuses guy. So I'm super excited to be here today. And, and I want to mention, you know, as a 20 year intelligence officer, we did a lot of work. Um, especially after their earthquakes in Haiti. And when you talk about um, the nonprofit and like what $10 even can do for there, and we didn't even talk about me doing this, but listening to you talk about it, I got to tell you guys, like it, it's not US poor. Like I grew up poor. I grew up on the street in trailers, no food, hungry, like all of these things. It's a whole different level. It's so poor and so hungry that sometimes mothers even feed their children dirt. And I'm not joking. Mm -hmm. I'm not making light of it. Like it is that yeah. serious. The destitution is that serious. So any money that you guys can provide to do anything in Haiti um, is phenomenal and would go a really long way, more than you would probably even realize. So um, if it's on your heart to donate, please take time to do that. Brother, thank you, thank you. <clears throat> we share a heart, we share a brain, man. So thank you for that. Yeah, it, it really is. It's absolutely devastating. When she was there, when Serena was there for the most recent earthquake, I think it was last year, um, she was boots on the ground. She is, when she went to one of the hardest hit areas um, with her crew, we were, they said they needed tarps, they needed water, they needed toiletries. And literally as she was walking around and, and videotaping or recording these people, I asked her offline, I said, you know, do these people mind, you know, do they get upset that you're like, you know, basically not, not, um, I'm trying to think of the word, not trying to um, highlight that, but you're trying to highlight the devastation, but not, you know, at the, at their expense, right? You know, not sit right. there and go, hey, you know, I know you guys are having a shitty day, but here, let me, let me just expose this to the rest of the world. Yeah. I said, do they mind that? She goes, no, Chris. She goes, here's the thing. She goes, they want me to take pictures. They want me to do video. Mm -hmm. I said, oh, okay. I said, why? 
And she goes, because they don't know how they look together. That's mm. the guy's like, they don't have pictures. They, they don't, don't have, have mirrors. mirrors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She goes, we don't know what. So we take pictures and we're able to see, let them see what they look like actually as, as, as a family. And I was just like, that broke my heart thinking, mm-hmm. wow. I mean, we're so, we're so spoiled here in the States. We have our cell yeah. phones, cell phones there go for $4,000. The two guys that work for the school that actually go mm-hmm. up there and kind of act as security to keep the gang members out there, they got uh, hijacked and all their phones got stolen. So they don't have a way to communicate with us. So we're actually yep. collecting spare cell phones to send them down there. Cause they're like $4,000 on the black market. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely unbelievable. So Thank you for that, brother, and I appreciate you. But today we're going to talk about this gentleman right here, Mr. <laughs> Walt McKinley, Monsters in My House. I have the book. I have read it thoroughly, of course, when I yeah. got it. And you have, I, you, know, I, you and I have had lots of conversations about yeah. what's contained in the book. We're going to shift the dynamic a little bit here today on today's conversation. But my first question for you is now that the book has been out for a while and you told people, obviously, that you're writing it, what has been some of the feedback? I'm sure you've had amazing feedback from some people. But when you think about, about your family and your childhood friends and people of that nature, how has that feedback yeah. been from them? Has it been all positive or some people have been a little bit butthurt or are they, are they thinking that Walt's all, all of a sudden now a superstar? What is, what has that been like for you? Well, I, I think it's probably all of it <laughs> to be totally honest with you. And you know, what's wild is um, people that were in the book that were so close to me that they were part of the stories that I told in that book. For instance, uh, my, my childhood friend, he's still my buddy today, um, Robert, he's in the book and he, he lived in the car same time as I did. And I was in the driver's seat. He was in the passenger seat in those moments. And, you know, he called me after reading the book and he was crying and he goes, bro, like when you talk about in high school, when you wore this mask and you were trying to be funny and you were trying to, um, you know, just live your life and start to learn to thrive but you were going to court against your father and you had suffered this horrific abuse your whole life. Like I didn't even know. He goes, how did I not know? Dude, we lived in a car together and we had apartment together and, you know, well, bachelor pad back in the day. And, and so I said, but I wasn't really ready to tell my story in those moments back then. Right. As I healed and as I spoke my truth and I told different pieces of my story, as I healed from that piece that I told, I was able to unlock deeper, darker, more hurtful places until I was able to narrate this huge story in this book. And it's funny. I always say like total dad joke, but I am an open book and I don't shy away from any piece of any part of my story because the one thing that you don't say might be the thing that saves somebody else's life. And I had a couple family members that they were upset. They're like, Oh, well, you know, you're going to, I feel uncomfortable about this. So I called them directly. Hey, I heard you had a problem with me writing the book. And they're like, well, it's making me, you know, f- generate my own emotions about what happened to me. And I was like, that's amazing. Hell that's yeah, great, let's right? freaking go. Like, oh, that warrior power, let's go. But they're just not ready to do the healing. Conversely, there's people in my family who read the book who have dove headfirst into their own healing journey and are now stepping into their own power and using their story, not only to live their full potential, but now using their story to help other people. And that's the ripple effect that we have when we have the courage to love ourselves enough to to fill our own bucket, that that bucket starts to overflow into other people and they can do the same. And then the ripple effect of that really does change humanity. So it's been like literally all of those things at once. Yeah, like a tornado, a tornado storm of, of different emotions. Are you at liberty to be able to share one of those success stories with us? Oh, you mean like of somebody who's read the book? Yeah. Oh, so so you know, I'm gonna talk about my own mom because there's so many other people who have contacted me that have people we know together that have contacted me and said, "Hey, as I read your book, 
I realized there were some things I was still hiding from. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to be a victim, victim anymore. And I'm not going to be a survivor anymore. I'm going to be a warrior and a fighter, just like you talked about, because they realize that they continue to victimize themselves, even though the trauma and the abuse wasn't still happening because they're grown. Mm-hmm. Um, but we stay in that mindset until we're ready to use our past as rocket fuel for our future. And one of those people was my own mother. She asked me probably about a year ago. She goes, how are you so happy? Like, I just got to know. And she had never asked me this question. And, um, and I'm raw about how my mom was or wasn't there in my childhood in this book too. You were, you were straight up. And I said, mom, you can't like, I'm willing to help you, but you can't do it drinking. Like you're never, you can't keep running from the emotions that are going to chase you your entire life. And I was like, at some point you got to turn and face this. Like you're 66. When are you going to stop running and masking your pain with the substance? And when are you going to decide to love yourself enough to turn around so that your capacity to love you and be the mother you've always wanted to be starts to match each other, right? Because her want is always there. And so she's been sober over 250 days now. Like, I'm so proud of her. She got medication to, that would make her really sick because she was like, I need to force myself to do it. Um, she's in an amazing relationship with an incredible human being instead of abusive ones like she had always been in. Um, and she's learning to love herself for the first time in her life in a way that's even affecting the relationship she has with all of her children. Cause the more you love you, not in a selfish way, but the more you love you, the more you can show up in the way that God intended you to do for other people. So bro, it's been a blessing, just a blessing, yeah, I, bro. I love that story. And I was hoping that was the one you were going to share. I didn't want to lead you into that, <laughs> but that's just so amazing. The fact that you as, as, as her son, and you were dead honest in the book about what she wasn't, wasn't doing for you. It wasn't exactly, she was standing in front of the bus to make sure yeah. you weren't hurt. But then again, you know, she's kind of being complacent. And then for her to see and be inspired by your vulnerability, your transparency, and be able to say, Hey, listen, rather than sweep this under the rug and pretend like I had a normal childhood and everything was fine and peachy keen, like everybody else does. I instead, I'm going to walk through this valley. I'm going to go through mm-hmm. these challenging stories. And not only am I going to do that, but I'm going to write a book about that. And I'm going to inspire other yeah. people to go through those experiences as well. And then for her to say, oh, wow, let me let me put on that accountability mirror. Yeah, um, I got to be doing something. And for her to change the trajectory of her life at her age and now seeing the benefits of it, that's only going to bleed into other areas of her life. So, man, that is, that is so awesome. And something you said in there was really powerful. And I want to key in on this because... Right now, and as the as of this, this recording, the world's in a, in a in a shit show right now. There's a lot of chaos and calamity. There's a lot of uncertainty. People are struggling. There's a lot of burnout. Everything else is going on. And I've shared with you personally, and I've shared here on this show that over the course of COVID and the pandemic, that I gifted about 200 coaching sessions to people, just as my way of paying it forward. And in those sessions, I started hearing this little whisper to say, "Ask these people about their love for themselves." And so I would just start saying, okay, I want, I want you to answer this question. I'm going to ask you this question. I don't want you to think about it. Just tell me yes or no. Do you love yourself? And while I was surprised, I was shocked at how many people struggled and they were like trying not to struggle. Like, well, yeah, I think, well, I guess for the and like watching that yeah. and seeing that and knowing your story, you know, is contained in this book and how much, you know, fear and uncertainty and scarcity and, and, you know, being told you're a piece of shit. Talk to us about that self-love journey. How can people reconnect with themselves and start loving themselves no matter what experiences they've had in their childhood or in their young adulthood? Yeah. So I think, first of all, if you're carrying the pain of your past and you're not even honest with yourself enough to be able to say it out loud, it, it is really like poison that just atrophies who you are as a human being. It keeps people stuck. 
that fear of judgment or that fear of being unloved or the fear of people won't talk to me anymore if they know what I went through. But you don't have to write a book. You don't have to be on podcasts. You don't have to do all the things I've done in a grandiose way. Um, but find the one person to speak your truth to. Because I got to tell you, bro, like when I learned the power of that, because I walked in the pit of despair, I lived in the pit of despair. Woe is me. Why did this happen to me? I'm so pissed. I had hatred in my soul and with that and no love for me. I realized that I was drowning my whole life. It was like I could see the light above me. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and But like this anchor was like yanking me down. I couldn't quite get to take a breath. And when I started speaking my truth and I started letting some of that, those things out, it was like somebody snapped with bolt cutters, pow, snapped that anchor and shot up out of the water. And it was like, <gasps> and you breathe and you're like, holy shit. Like there's hope. I feel strong again. I can breathe. I can take a breath. I can. And then it was like each piece of that, <clears throat> accepting my trauma for what it is, acknowledging the emotions, finding forgiveness, bro. It, exposing and realizing just how powerful of a human being I'd become because I have perspective of what things could be like. And why did these things happen for me? Why did God trust me with the pain? Am I going to run from my purpose or am I going to run into it? When I started to do those things, it transformed who I was. And then I realized because there was purpose in that pain and the growth I could have if my mentality was focused on that, I started to love myself at the same time. Because I wasn't running from my past anymore. I was using it as fuel for everything that I did. And I want to mention this because in my early 20s, like I've had a lot of success, even when I was struggling. Um, and in my early 20s, I went into the Navy because I'm like, I'm going to, we were almost robbed a store, like we were screwing up, drinking. Um, and I was going to be in prison or jail. Fact, hands yep. down. Same when right. I first went in the Navy, a lot of my motivation had the lens of anger and pain on it and a not self-love for me or the people around me. It was, I'm not going to let them hold me back. I'll be damned if they control my life. Now I make my own decisions, what I do. And I had this huge chip on my shoulder and it propelled me at least initially, right? That anger. And what happened though, is I met my wife of 23 years. Now we've been together 26. I met my wife and started to feel that love. Right. And I realized even my aunt who had saved me from that purgatory, which is a whole nother piece to the puzzle three years before that, like she deserved my love. I knew I didn't want to let the generational cycle continue because I wasn't willing to face the reality and the pain and work through that pain to find purpose. Right. And, and it switched. It was like this, this morph that happened over time where I realized, Hey, I deserve to be happy. I don't want to be motivated by hatred and pain and shame and embarrassment and guilt and lack of forgiveness. I deserve to be happy. Like I'm going to lean into this shit because I want to be happy. And oh, by the way, the people that I love that deserve me to be ha that happiness, that's going to emanate from me that deserve that loving Walt. They need me to be happy inside so I can pour into their cup because my own is full. And it really was a self-discovery of, hatred and pain and shame and all these things that were like getting me success. But that inner turmoil and poison was there for me to say enough. I'm going to start doing this out of love and mm -hmm. I want to have success out of love and breaking the generational cycles and, you know, loving those people around me. But until I loved myself enough to really let go of a lot of what I was holding on to, I wasn't able to do that. As soon as I started to do those things, I realized like, holy shit, this, 
didn't even know. It wasn't like I was in therapy or counseling. I'm like, this works. I feel better. Let me do the next step. Let me right. do the next step. Let me do the next step. And it's got me to this point where I had this warrior persona, not because I was a military guy, but because I refused to be a victim or even survivor. I didn't just make it. I ain't just holding on. Those people out here listening to this, they ain't just holding on. Look at their life resume and the stuff that they've been through to live where they're at today. Like right. if that's not purpose and power, if you don't own that warrior piece of who you are, then I don't know that then one, you got some healing, but two, as you heal, you're going to step into the, your entire story in a different way and use it to propel yourself for Bro, I, you don't already know me, man. I'm <laughs> up over here. No, I'm, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get you all jacked up over here because I know people are watching this and listening to this. They may be not doing it right now, but when the time is right for those particular individuals, they're going to hear this message. And the thing that you were talking about, I was thinking about my own particular story with being homeless on the streets and everything. And I felt so much shame and I felt so much guilt and I felt so much, like you said, resentment and anger and everything else, all these different emotions that I was trying to process that I didn't really have any way of getting out of that situation. Talk to us about, you know, being able to overcome that fear of, of being judged and, and, and having people put their labels upon you of who you used to be rather than who you are now. Well, first, first, you got to stop judging yourself. Look, and, I, and I've only shared this on one of the podcasts, but I want to show you something. I got this piece of paper. So it's got a bunch of words on it. That's when I used to be able to write cursive when people did that. Um, What's cursive? My, yeah, I know. It's been so long. Um, so my aunt, Diana, um, was moving. And so she gave me a box full of stuff not too long ago. And I went through the stuff. And there was like notes from girls in high school. And, you know, you used to fold them up. And there was this paper and it's literally was folded in half like this in the box. She didn't even know it was in there. And I oh, opened wow. this thing up and it's no joke, bro. Not an over-exaggeration. It is very similar to the prologue story in my book. And in here, Whoa. it talks about like, no, make no bones. I was victimized in my childhood. I was literally tortured in my childhood, but make no bones about it. Like I'm not a victim. And, and you're going to hear me say that a lot. And so in here, it says, I want to read a little excerpt in here. Sure. This young boy realizes that all the years past wasn't his fault. It was just bad circumstances. The young boy in the story is me. And I said, although bad circumstances have deterred some areas of my life, I don't regret what's happened. I now realize how important life and a caring family can be. Everything in a person's life contributes to their personality. Being abused has led me to the field of psychology. I feel that, and that's, I'm so bummed that that, that was it, right? But when was that written? Well, how old when I was 17, no I had way. testified against my father in court at that point. Like my life had been extraordinarily horrific, but even in that moment, and this is, and by the way, I lived in the pit of despair and I asked, why did things happen to me and all these other things, but there was a piece of my humanity that always had that warrior power, that always had that warrior purpose, that knew that I can use my story to make this world a better place. And I feel like if we really look back at our own life resumes, we're going to find these special moments in our life. And by the way, Chris, I don't even remember writing this, bro. I, I, I read it and I don't remember writing it, but it's in my handwriting. Wow. And everybody You were, lock you were locked story. in at that point. You were locked into source right there. And, right. And everybody has a story that needs to get out. Everybody has a story and it might not save millions of people's lives. Maybe it saves the one and that's good enough. And that's good enough. So I think 
um, for me, like that mentality of life happening for you versus to you will catapult your way of thinking, but you got to really reprogram yourself and change your mindset and love yourself enough to say bullshit. I'm not going to let this drown me anymore. I'm actually going to cut that, that bolt, that anchor, because you're the only person who can do it. And I'm going to use this as purpose for the rest of my life. And I'm going to use it as fuel for the rest of my life to go further and faster than I ever could have if it never happened to me. Because I am who I am because of everything that's happened to me. Without every, without being locked in basements and chained to beds and starved and beaten to the brink of losing my sanity, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing today. Somebody needs to hear that out there and then 100%. choose them. And, and I want to mention this and I know I'm rambling a little bit, but I'm all super like my mind's like, well, let's go. Um, <laughs> let's go. Got you fired so up. many people are paralyzed by the what if question. Yeah. And you're going to go left or you're going to go right on what if. We're programmed in life because of other people's lack of confidence and lack of doubt and fear of their judgment and fear of like what they can and can't do in their limiting beliefs. This is all other people's so that we get trained to be cautious. But what if, what if I heal from my trauma, try to heal from my trauma and it makes it worse? What if I try that relationship and I get my heart broke? What if I try for that job and the economy sucks and I get fired? And what that leads people to do is like not take action in their life. If you don't take action, you don't get results in life. If you don't get results, you would feel stuck and living in quiet desperation. And there's too much of our society that's in this crazy cycle. Conversely, the right-hand side of the road is the same what if question. What if I'm happier than I've ever felt in my life because I'm willing to take those deep, dark spaces that I hold these secrets in that cause shame and embarrassment and re-victimize me over and over? What if I let that out and I become happier than I've ever been and really live my full potential? What if I go in this relationship and like, like my wife, like this chick I met, ends up being my wife of 23 years, my rock, my soulmate, like the reason I am who I am today. What if I take that job? What if I leave corporate America like I did and be a speaker speaking life into the world and get to go train in corporate America, one, but also get to go speak on stages around the world. You know, I was just in Canada and New York two weeks ago, around the world and influence people to believe that they're good enough to own their future. What if... It is yes. literally what Love if it. or what if. So pick your dang head up, puff your chest out and start thinking about the possibilities of life. And when you do that, when you say what if, then the fear of the unknown and judgment and all the other things that get us going on the left side become pale in comparison to what happens when you go on the right and you just go for it, man. And when you go for it, your life will transform for you and everybody around you. It's, it's, man, it's the dopest. It's the life goals. Amen. Amen. I couldn't have said it any better myself. And I love what you're saying. There's so many different jumping off points there, but what I'm hearing you saying is talk about the learned helplessness, right? Mm -hmm. And I think about, you know, uh, I don't know if I've ever seen the meme, but there was a picture of a, a baby elephant, you know, uh, tied to a, a plastic, a white plastic chair. And the, so when the baby, when the elephant was a baby, they thought the chair could hold them back. And it shows them growing up and being adults, being full-grown size elephants, you know, capable of destroying cars. And they're still tied to that chair that they could easily fling if they ever wanted to. 
And so what I hear you saying is like so many times that we think about our conditioning process when we were little kids and we carry that belief into our adulthood that we don't think that we're as powerful as we truly are. Mm-hmm. We don't recognize that. So that learned helplessness helps us stay safe. And then that victim mindset, as long as me being a victim gets sympathy and empathy and, oh, let me do this for you, Chris, you poor thing, well, you poor thing. And as long as they're ever going to step out, like you said, into that, into that dynamic real person that we have hiding with inside of us and be able to destroy and dominate anything we put our minds to, we got to overcome that learned helplessness. So one of the things that I think about in that particular situation you're talking about, you said the word, talk to us about forgiveness because you were wronged by so many different people in your life. You were wronged by the, the child welfare system. You were wronged by foster parents. You were wronged by your own parents, you know, people that came into your life. Talk to us about that component for empathy and forgiveness because I think, you know, that if we can crack that nut for people and people can sit there and recognize in their own life, you know, I have my ideas about that. But talk to us about that process and that journey for you to go from, you know, not liking your mom for because she's not stepping in and doing things. You're testifying against your dad in court for all the abuse that you suffered. And now now you're able to have this kick-ass life, this amazing, you're the dad to two amazing daughters. You have a long relationship. You're a successful person in society. You had a Fortune 300 job. Talk to us about that process of being able to have that empathy and forgiveness and be able to, to move past all those things and really recognize that true warrior with inside you. Man, that was a journey for me. So forgiveness was, and this is why I teach so much on this and then the healing ladder, like forgiveness to me was the third step, the third key to living an extraordinary life. And frankly, the hardest for me, like I was able to speak my truth pretty easily. It came in layers, but it was like peeling an onion into this beautiful, amazing thing. I accepted the trauma for what it was. It happened. I couldn't change it. I couldn't excuse it. Nothing. I couldn't acknowledge, like I had to learn to acknowledge the emotions because I'm a man. I was like, I'm fine. I'm that, that ain't gonna bother me. Shit. That's not what I do. Unless Captain Resilience, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> big old R on my chest. <clears throat> so there was a little work there, but like forgiveness for me, man, like, and, and I forgave my parents faster. I think because when a child's abused, they don't stop loving the parents. They stop loving themselves. Like yeah. that's psychologically proven. And I realized that the generational cycle happens 73% of the time. And the reason it happens 73% of the time within the same families is because we sweep things under the rug. Nobody talks about it. And so you've got a bunch of hurt parents raising children. And even if you do better, the goal isn't to do better. The goal is to eliminate the generational cycle, period, right? So you can't make excuses for yourself either. You just got to get better. But the, you know, it was like, um, I, I was just so focused on like making sure that I didn't do these things. And so I forgave my parents along the way. They didn't know. I didn't run and tell them, oh, mommy Mm -hmm. and daddy, I forgive you. And this, no, I forgave them because I was poisoning my own soul. And what I realized in these moments was like forgiveness was never even about anybody else, Chris. Forgiveness was always about me. Forgiveness was always about stepping into my life potential. Forgiveness was always about my personal happiness so that I could have the capacity to break the generational cycles because the want was there from day one. The capacity to do so changed as I forgave. And I'll tell you, the last person I forgave was Bruce. And, you know, you showed the book cover like this. This was my this was my view as a little boy with my stepfather throwing me in the basement. And there's a scary Halloween mask. I can't even get it close. But anyway, mm-hmm. scary Halloween mask in the corners in there that he used to throw down there with me to make it scarier. And leave me in there in the dark. And I saw him when I was 19 years old. And I had just brought my wife home to meet my family. I hadn't seen my mom in 10 years. And wow. um, I wanted to see my little sisters. 
And so I went to my mom's house. We all met at my, my mom's house, right? Well, I hadn't seen my mom in so long. I didn't know if the dude standing next to the carport outside the master bedroom door was her boyfriend. And so my little sister, it's her father, is talking to him. And I go get a drink and I kind of look and I see this man. I'm like, hey, what's up, dude? And he's like, hey, well, how you doing? And bro, I took two steps into the living room. And Stephanie was like, you turned white and then red and then white and then red. Because it was like the heat. Like I have never felt that angry or so much hatred in my life. Because in the moment I'm like, oh my gosh, that's Bruce. And so Stephanie, my girlfriend was like, who is that? And she knew a little bit at this point. And I was like, that's Bruce. Mm. And I was so full of anger in this moment. I turned Imagine. to my mom and said, I, if you don't make him leave, I'm going to literally go stab him to death. And I am not playing with you. And she looks at my older sister, Faith, and Faith's like, well, hey, well, don't play. You better make his <laughs> ass leave. Like, you better get him out of here. And I, if my little sister wasn't talking to him, I actually think I probably would have stabbed him. Like I was that angry because wow. that little boy is now a man, right? Mm -hmm. And I hadn't forgiven him. So fast forward 12 years later, I see him at my sister's wedding. My little sister's getting married now. I see him at my little sister's wedding. And I had really worked on forgiveness. And leading up to this moment, I thought, I'm not going to go spoil my little, I want to go enjoy my little sister's wedding. And I was like, there's this piece of me that I just haven't found the space for forgiveness yet. And every time I thought of him, I got angry and it spoiled my day. And then it had the potential to spoil the day of those people around me who needed the best version of me, like my family and kids, right? So- I really let the final piece of that go. I realized he was abused as a kid. Yeah. All my abusers were abused as kids. Hurt people, hurt people, bro. Like yeah. that's the reality. It doesn't make it okay. It doesn't mean that I wish that it didn't happen sometimes. What it means is that if I'm going to really maximize my full potential in life, if I'm going to really be happy, like not happiness, no money can buy happiness. I'm talking about internal peace. True internal freedom, internal happiness, I had to forgive. And I really just let the final pieces of that go. Understanding hurt people hurt others gave me some empathy. Again, it didn't make it okay. And then I said, I need to, I need to be better if I'm going to really break the, fully break the generational cycle. And I forgave. And I saw him at the wedding, it's 12 years later. And I went up and shook his hand and told him congratulations. And wasn't like I gave him a hug. And I was like, sit down, bro, we're going to get chummy and drink some beer. And no. Right. But you know what I did do? I just had a badass time at my sister's wedding. Have fun, dance. Mm -hmm. Had my two daughters as a picture of me holding both of them in both arms because they were little kids at that point. And um, dance with my wife. I even danced with my mother. Like I just enjoyed my sister's wedding instead of sitting there in anger looking at this man who had hurt me mm -hmm. that was still living in his miserable existence. Yeah. I'm talking about it was my choice at that point whether or not I was going to allow that to continue to happen because he wasn't hurting me anymore. I was only hurting myself by hanging on to it. So forgiveness is always about you and your journey and your life potential and your happiness and the way that you give yourself the capacity to show up for others. So stop. People got to stop making excuses and revictimizing themselves because they're too afraid to face the pain that they've been running from their whole life because trauma will chase you until the day you die and you can't hide from it. It will find you. You have to turn and face it at some point. If you want to step into your own purpose and mm -hmm. your own potential and your own full life that you deserve. Yeah. So true. So true and beautiful. I, I love that because when I think about my situation and my journey, when I <laughs> actually finally realized because of my mom and everything was like, 
the thing that got me was she kept telling me she was four years old. I'm like, mom, you're a fucking adult. Stop, stop saying that shit. It's pissing me off. You're a fucking adult. You know, you chose for us to be homeless. You chose for, to feed the cats first instead of me. You chose all these different things. Why do you keep your saying you're four years old? And she never explained it. But then all of a sudden it dawned on me one day, I was like, four years old. That's when her parents divorced. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's when her dad went to go live his life. And she went, had to go live with her, with her crazy ass mother. I thought my mother was crazy. My grandmother would beat her to the punch like 10 times. Gener- over. Generational, right? Yeah. And it was so crazy. And I thought if I had gone through those things that my mom had been through, if I had gone through losing her parents, you know, to divorce at four years old and all the different things that my grandmother put her through, might I be just like her? Like you said, hurt people, hurt people. And I thought for a moment, at first, I did not want to admit it. I was like, no, I wouldn't be like her because I have free will and, and I would have chose this. And if you have a kid, that's your first responsibility. All this stuff that came into my brain because I did not want to see that. But I'm like, I'm not, I'm, she's not me and I'm not her. So if I had been yeah. her and gotten through those experiences, might it be that I would turn out like her? Yes. And it was that point to say, okay, wow. So I do have free will and I can break those generational cycles of abuse and everything mm-hmm. else. And, you know, the thing I'm thinking about right now for people who are watching this, and I think about you, Walt, and, and warrior doesn't always come to my mind, but absolute resiliency comes to my mind. Mm-hmm. Thinking about everything yeah. that you've been through and the successes you've had in your life and the challenges you've had in your life. And think about that honesty component. What can we say to people today to like get them to understand that, was well, it something else I wanted to share with you? I was talking with somebody the other day, and it was interesting that, and I've I've heard people say this periodically, but they said I'm afraid to do my healing work because the anger and the edge that I've had in my entire life has produced these things. Like because I've been angry, I've always been a go getter, and da 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 da. And to the point, I understand that because before I used to be pissed off, and it was like, you know, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna too. do it twice, and I'm gonna take pictures of it. You know, you can't tell me I can't do anything, but I've lost all that, and in a way, I feel like I've lost part of my drive to be able to, um, to be able to execute and like to, to really go yeah. after things. So talk to us about that journey of, of having that honesty, but really determining what our resiliency factor is and how we can become better and, and realize that we're stronger, way stronger, way more warrior than we ever thought possible we could be. Well, I think first, it's so important to touch on what you just said. It's like, like I was driven by that anger. Like I'm gonna do it twice over, three times over. I got the money, I got the family and my personal life was great. And I got the things and I got all these things and I'm bullshit. Like, see what I'm saying? Like, they can't stop me. But inside, I was dying. Inside, I wasn't really happy. And that's why people look at like Anthony Bourdain and um, Robin Williams and Kate Spade. And um, uh, I can't remember her name now, but the woman, she just crashed her car and killed herself not too long ago. In oh, Anne Hayes. Yeah, Anne Hayes, right? Like, yeah. look at all of these people that seemingly have everything, right? From the outside looking in, you're like, they're so lucky. But no, they're not. Like, success doesn't equate to things. And people got to stop looking at it that way. Like, who gives a shit what you have? Like, I've had all the things and I was yeah. freaking miserable. And so what unlocked a different piece of me and what enabled me to truly enjoy the success was healing what was in here, was for my motivation to be out of love, was for like uh, my capacity as a human being to affect those around me grew as my pain turned into purpose. And so I think first and foremost, it's understanding like, what do you label as success? And you got to be real with yourself because if it's things, you will live in quiet desperation and it will never be enough. If your pain is what's driving you forward, that's great at first, right? Like it worked for me, but at some point, that pain, that edge that keeps you on edge does affect not only your internal happiness, but it affects the people you love the most around you. You limit your capacity to show up as a human being for the world, especially those significant others that deserve the best of you. 
And I think first that's the honesty, right? To realize like, you're not going to lose your edge. What you do is you elevate your life floor unknowingly by doing that healing work. And you're going to do what's in alignment with you, but it's not about chasing stuff anymore. It's about impact and humanity. And frankly, some of that's wisdom that you just get as you get older too. I wish I could have known this at 20 um, and not at 45, you know, but um, that's why we speak about it. That's why we talk about it. And I think people got to realize like your history doesn't define your legacy and where you start doesn't have to be where you finish, but where you start will be where you finish. If you're not honest enough with yourself to accept what's happened and then start to do the work to raise your life floor. That's the reality. I don't care what nobody says. I have talked to thousands of people about this kind of stuff. Like I have lived it myself. Right. I have walked this journey myself. And I know when I did the healing work and I really unlocked, it was like, it's like, um, reminds me of old school video games. You know, you like Mario brothers back in the day and you'd like, beat the boss. right. You beat the boss, right. And the boss was hard as hell sometimes. And you'd beat him. And then it would be like the door would open and, da -da 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 -da. Mm -hmm. and you'd walk through the door and it was always like this big golden, um, you know, this big golden uh, case or whatever. And it opens up and it's like the light comes out and that's what it's like. It's like the boss is your trauma. The boss is what you need to beat. Like you might've went through the level. You might've not, not died one time in the level. You might've went through the level, got all the coins, got all the things. But if you don't beat the boss, yeah you actually never win. And that's what people are missing is life being about their happiness that equates to the win versus the thing. So you just gotta be honest with yourself about where you're at, make the proper adjustments and lean like it's, ah, bro, like, it's <laughs> like, I equate sitting with trauma, right? That limits your capacity to being at a stoplight in your life. When you, Stop running from this trauma and driving away from it, feeling like you're going to get away and masking it with alcohol or drugs or like a thing or attention or like it's not only like the addictions we think about. It's all these other things. I love attention. I'll be like, give me some more attention. I'll, mm, I'm awesome. Yeah. Thanks for telling me that because I never got told that as a kid. Yeah. And so it's like being at a stoplight, trying to go, you're revving your engine, right? But you're, you're just in park and you ain't going nowhere. And when you turn around, you face that trauma one more time, you run that shit over and you knock it to the ground. It's like getting in the HOV lane <laughs> and rolling when everybody else is sitting in traffic stopped. I'm telling you, it is literally a life-changing event. When you lean into your pain, when you realize your history doesn't define your legacy, when you realize those people that are going to judge you anyway would have done it whether you healed or not because they're not willing to be honest and face their own pain. Mm -hmm. And when you make yourself and your happiness a priority, because you realize that you actually really deserve that. And then your soul stops yearning for it. You actually attain it. You raise your life floor. your capacity as a human being increases. And it just, it's like that. What if, and going on the right side, it's this beautiful mm -hmm. cycle that continues to go. It is. And I love what you're saying right there. I mean, it really truly is. It's about, and one of the things I want to, I want to dovetail off of that for a second is the fact in speaking about resiliency and speaking about, you know, rising above and being able to overcome some of the, the, the darker moments of our life. You know, talk to us about the fact that you were in a highly successful career, making yeah. lots of money, buying all those different things. And you and I have experienced the same thing. 
we often don't know what we don't know and we don't see it because mm-hmm. we're so in the game we're so in our ego and we're so into the, yep. the conquest of, of proving and validating it and, and doing what we're asked to be doing that sometimes we don't recognize just how bad things have gotten and so talk mm-hmm. to us about that corporate situation for yourself and how now you go back and teach leaders and everybody else to <laughs> overcome the burnout and the exhaustion that so many people are facing right now with the quiet quitting and everything else that's going on in the last couple of years. How can we help people through your story about really, really taking into consideration how we can become stronger and and let go of some of that stuff that we thought once was important, but now we realize that our core essentials are more important than anything else. Well, I love the stories aspect when you say that because stories are the connector. It makes people feel not alone because in the story is emotion. And if you're honest with yourself when you tell it, because it's about serving others, they'll connect to the emotions that you felt because they're feeling the same thing. So the quiet desperation is real. And, you know, I I was enlisted in the Navy when I first went in, I became a Naval Intelligence Officer. I did some really cool stuff. And so I don't care about the rank and title. Like that's never been a driving force to me. For me, money brought me an opportunity to change my legacy. Cause like we lived on the street partially when I was a kid, I was hungry all the time, like outside of just the the, the, what people would think of as abuse. There was a lot of neglect. And so for me, it's like, I'm on this freeway of life. I feel like I'm having a lot of career success. I'm captain. Don't nothing hold me down. Cause I know what it's like mm-hmm. to really live shitty and all this other stuff. And I'm captain resilient. What are you talking about? I could go through anything, even crying. I was like, I've only cried like three times in my adult life. And twice was when my kids were born. I don't cry. That's not what men are. Alpha barrel. Let's go. And so, um, you know, and so I go into, I, I retire from the Navy, had an amazing career. I go into corporate America. I get promoted four times in five years. I'm crushing corporate America. And I love it because like, it's an opportunity to pour into leaders um, so that when I retire, I, I've helped build the next generation that can go forth and really serve their teams in a way um, that helps make everybody better. And everybody gets to win in this pool. And it's a team first environment. So I'm loving it. COVID hits. And I'm working for a Fortune 300 company that does payroll. So COVID hits. Uh, my boss is like, I don't even know to the, even to this day what she was really doing. Um, <laughs> there was, a, there was an, a director that they were supposed to hire that they didn't hire because they were worried about, you know, um, employee costs because we didn't know what was going to happen with the COVID stuff. Um, and because we ran payrolls, companies weren't open. And so there was a whole, there was considerations. So there's literally three executives doing the job I vacated now. <laughs> in this company and <laughs> that's a testament right there bro like and and by the way i'm captain resilient like let's go let's freaking bring it like i'm ready mm-hmm. Let, we, i'm on fire let's go we'll rally the team rally the troops let's forge through i gave this whole speech about the bo- and my voice was all hoarse at the time i'm like the best teams are forged in the fire and it ain't about winning the championship you don't win at the championship without going through the struggle and that's what we do and they rallied the teams loved it I mean, we went from 26% attrition to 5% attrition, even though our work tripled. Wow. But what was happening during this time and what I, I wasn't willing to be honest with myself to admit was I was getting extraordinarily burnt. It was 12 to 14 hour days for 18 months. I had talked to uh, my boss's boss, like, Hey, I, I need you to hire somebody. Like I can't keep doing this shit. Like I'm burnt out. And I just hang on a little bit longer, a little bit longer. And, mm-hmm. and she was burnt too. Right. And so a little bit longer. And, and what happened is I started having chest pain. Oh, I started getting apathy towards my role, frustrated, easy resentment that trickled, turned into a faucet turned on the anger, 
the like, I can't believe that they're just going to just break the backs of everybody that's here. It's bullshit. But here I am. I'm going to be the shit umbrella for my whole team and make sure they don't get none of it. And I'm starting to get chest pains. So I, I hate doctor. I don't even go to doctors. I, I was like, I got to go. I'm, I'm a little bit out of shape. I had put weight on 12 to 14 hour days and executive meetings on Zoom. So you're engaged. And then as soon as I would go green on WebEx, my leadership team, all the managers and directors would be like, well, well, I need, you, I need some help. And I'm like, well, bet I, I'm your leader. I owe it to you to be there for you. I'm servant mm -hmm. leader all day, every day. Yeah. So here I am trying to be something amazing for my team. At home, I'm working from before my kids are getting up from school. And my wife's coming in here to tell me like, it's dinner, get off the computer. And she's bringing me lunch during the day because everybody's work from home. And I, I can't even say thank you. It was like, the, like if I'm looking at the camera and I'm, I'm in the Zoom meeting, right? And there's a bunch of exec and she'd bring my lunch and I'd just be like, or, I, or I'd put my hand to the side and be like, but way over here, like, like right. I couldn't even say thank you mm. in the moment. But I'm Captain Resilient, like, yeah. school, it's <laughs> what I do. And finally one day, and my heart checks out and I'm still having heart pains in my back and tense and all that stuff, right? And I'm just starting to care less and less about my job because I'm not getting to do the things I love, which is pouring into the leaders. Mm -hmm. It's just meetings, trying to get everybody to hang on. And I'm talking, they finally hired a director and I'm like, thank God I can like pass some of this work off to somebody. Right. But I'm like trying to acclimate her and not dump on her. Right. So one day we're sitting here and I start leaning. I got, I got my arm up in my chair, but I start leaning in my chair and she's like, Walter, are you okay? And I was like, I, I don't feel right. And, and I didn't feel right even waking up, but instead of taking a mental health day or sick day, I'm, I can't, who's mm. going to do the work? We're going to press on. on. We're going to press on. Like, let's go. How am I going to talk about resilience and all this mm -hmm. shit? And then I'm not resilient. Yeah. And my wife, um, you know, she's like, Hey, what do you want for dinner? And I'm like, ah, man, I don't know. Like maybe it's five 30. Can you just cook something? It's five 30 PM. I mean, give me a freaking break, but I'm frustrated. So I'm guilty because I don't feel like I'm showing up as a good husband and father for my family. I'm not showing up as a leader. I know I can be for my people, mm -hmm. but I was showing up as nothing for me. And that's the reason why. So my wife's like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, I start crying and I'm like, I'm not even physically or emotionally tired anymore. I'm tired in the depths of my soul of who I am as a human being. I can't even explain to you how tired I am right now. And it wasn't about my personal life. It was about my professional life. So right. I'm talking to my peer and I'm like, lean in. She's like, and I was like, I got to go Push, slam the laptop. I walk out into the living room and I'm like, hey, can you get me two aspirin? I was like, I feel like I might be having a heart attack because my back got tight. It was like radiating above my head. And then it was like my neck was pulsing both sides. You could see the vein in my head pulsating. And I was like, I'm going to drive myself to the hospital. She's like, like, the reason I'll drive myself. I'm resilient, man. I can, I can still got this. No heart attack's going to take me down. <laughs> right, right. So she's like, uh, bullshit, let's go right now. So 30 minutes later, my blood pressure is 189 over 98 still. But my heart rate isn't that high. So a combat medic that used to run trauma centers, that was just a nurse, the lead nurse there at the VA hospital. He leans in. He goes, hey, bro, like all the things you're saying is how I felt. And I know that guys like us, we don't like to admit it. We don't like to be honest about it. But I think it's a panic attack based upon all the stuff we're seeing. And he makes sure nobody else hears. He goes, I was a combat medic. I've been in super stressful situations just like you. 
And it wasn't until I ran 12 trauma centers in the Phoenix area that I had the nervous breakdown. And he goes, you're responsible for 400 plus people, multiple sites around the U.S., overseas sites. Like you finally found your breaking point. Yeah. And I did. And I took two months of disability for the first time in years. I was like, I got to set Captain Resilience aside. And I need to figure out what's wrong with me. And it took me two months, Chris, to get my faculties back full time. Right. Mm-hmm. And and my wife and I talked right before I went back to work. And we asked, what if? And she goes, you know what, babe, I've been begging you to write your memoir for like a decade. Your story needs to be told. And you wanted to be a speaker for over 25 years. You've been doing it for decades anyways. This is just the story is different. And she's like, let's just go for it. Screw it. Leave corporate America. And I'm like, oh, shit. Like, what if, what if it doesn't happen? What if we go broke? What if, what if, what if? And then I'm like, you know what? Bullshit. What if I can impact people's lives? What if? I can go build a speaking portfolio. Now I'm speaking literally globally now, right? What if I can go into corporate America and be the cautionary tell so other leaders don't do the same thing? What if I love myself enough to pour back into me so I could be the person my family needs and my friend needs and those people who are going to need me later I haven't even met yet? What if? And we said, F it. And I left a lot of money on the table in corporate America. I left a lot of money and I was on the precipice of another promo even then. And here I am a year and a half, a year and nine months later, number one bestseller, global speaker, crushing it all by taking little steps every single day. And I love our relationship because we keep keep each other accountable, right? Um, Because it's not like I don't experience self-doubt. It's not like I don't um, think like, I know it's not if, it's when. Like, is this really going to do what I need it to do? Can I replicate my corporate America? And can can I do all these things? Do people need my message as much as I feel like they do? Um, And the answer to everything is yes. As long as we keep taking action, we keep getting results, we increase our belief, and we stay in that cycle, and we don't let our fear and self-doubt push us back to the what ifs, and (laughs) we act like victims again, and stay paralyzed by the fear of the unknown. So like that got me from there to there. Here's the other thing. Holy shit. Like I didn't even know I missed out. I was drained. I would have wouldn't found another company and I would have done all that. Probably made more money in where I was working too. All the things didn't matter anymore in that moment. All yep. the stuff. I had created a different legacy by being the father my kids needed. But you know what? If I'm going to keep doing that, I need to open myself up to a different kind of freedom. And what I found along this journey is I was missing 20, 25% happiness. I didn't even know I missed. I didn't even realize it. Mm -hmm. And now that I've done it, I'm like, this is literally the happiest I've been in my whole life. It's the jam, bro. I'm telling you, people miss it out. Like no more quiet desperation. Ask them what if and do the thing that set your freaking soul on fire. Amen. Amen. Amen, brother. (laughs) Man, I could talk to you for hours. We do talk for hours. And uh, I just think this has been another powerful conversation for the people who who are watching this and listening to this. Guys, you know, definitely connect with Walt. Uh, Walt, where can people get a hold of you and continue the conversation and get your book? The easiest place to one-stop shop. Go to www.waltmckinley. Look at that. It's almost like you prepped that. Go to waltmckinley.com. All my socials are connected on there. Um, and you can go to 
the Amazon link for the books on there. I did it. I audibled my book recently, which yeah. is super dope. A lot different to hear me say all the emotional things that happen versus read it. Um, but just go to my website, connect with me there. Um, I, I do a lot of stuff on there. Um, and, and if you know, um, like if, if there's a speaking event coming up and, you know, people are looking like refer me out, we can talk about that. Um, and then if you ever need to chat, hit me up there and let's have a chat. Do it, ladies and gentlemen, do it. WaltMcKinley.com. And on Instagram, it is Walt McKinley Inspiration. Your last name is spelled M-C-K-I-N-L-E-Y. So McKinley, yep. go check him out. I, guys, I've been friends with Walt for a while now. He's my best bud. He's an amazing soul. He's got such integrity, honesty, transparency. He's a hell of a lot of fun. And uh, just can't wait to do more things out there in the world and continue to crush it with you, brother. So thank you for being here on the Raw and Scripted Show. I'm going to place you backstage for just a second. I'm going to close out the show, and then I will be right with you. So don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. Thank you, brother. <laughs> Love you. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another episode of the Raw and Scripted Show with Christopher Rausch and the amazing Walt McKinley. And do yourself a favor. Go out there and get this book. It's Christmas time. Go out there and get this book. Give this book to people that you know. It's 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 yes, it could be considered a sad tale, it could be considered a tragic tale, but you just heard from the man himself what he has seen and what he's witnessed and what he's experienced and what he's created on the other side of all of that trauma. He sat there and he said something very distinctive that you heard me say on the show, but I'm gonna say it again, I'm gonna say it again, I'm gonna say it again. Life is happening for you, not to you. And think about this: everything that's happened in your life right up until this moment, you're hearing this message for a particular reason. Somebody may have said, hey, you need to check out Christopher Roush. And you heard this one show and you listen to Walt McKinley and you're like, oh my God, everything is a sign. But what about this? What if everything in your life that has been happening right up until now has been preparing you for what's next? Think about that. Everything that's happening in your life is preparing you for what's next. But if you're sitting there looking in your past and you're focusing on that and you're like, oh man, if this would have been different, this would have been different. If I would have done this, if you'd played the shoulda, coulda, woulda game, or if you're looking into the future playing the someday game, oh, someday when this is right and this happens, and then, then I'll go do that. You just heard the guy say he found out he was missing so much of his life. I went through the same thing when I left corporate. I was in there for 26 years. And on November 7th, literally three years ago today, I was invited to leave. And I sat there and went, what am I going to do? But when you get those opportunities, when God's source universe, depending on what you believe in, gives you a sign and starts laying out a path for you, do not do not ignore that. Sit there and ask yourself, like you said, you know, what if the positive aspect of this is supposed to be true? Look at things as part of the hero's journey. Like, you know, go watch the Joseph Campbell story on YouTube. You can go see that. You know, it's powerful. Get his book, connect with him, and just continue to work on your own resiliency. Continue to work on your own efforts and make sure that you're loving yourself and make sure you're surrounding yourself with the right people. Because when you do these few little things that may seem insignificant, over time, that compound interest, you do a little bit of this. You start taking a little bit care, better care of yourself. You start eliminating some of the things you're tolerating. You start reading more books. You get a coach. You start taking more risks. You realize that you're stronger than you actually think you are. All that builds upon itself, and you become super resilient, become kick-ass unstoppable, and you start flying your freak flag, and you start living your life, and then you go back out there, and you want to pay it back to all the other people and let them know, hey, listen, guys, I've been through this journey, and you guys can get through it too. That's what we want for you. That's what happens here on the Ron and Scripted Show. That's what happens when you have a no-excuses coach. And that's what happens when you start opening your eyes to what's possible and you let go of all the anger and resentment and all the bullshit pity party stuff that you have for yourself. And you say, hey, today's a brand new day. I'm a resilient and I'm going to go out there and I'm going to crush it. And if I don't crush it, I'm going to learn from whatever it is that happens and I'm going to apply those lessons in my life. And I'm going to continue to move forward and rock my life because at the end of the day, I want to be remembered for this. And every single day, wake up with the intention to be remembered for that and do the actions that support that. And you will have a kick-ass life. I love you guys. We'll be back here again next Tuesday. And we will see you here on the Ron and Scripture Show. I love you guys. 
go be brilliant.